0: Welcome to They Came From Outer Space, a radio program where we talk to filmmakers and buffs about their favorite sci-fi film and how it relates to their own work and today's wild world. I'm filmmaker Cameron Kitt. I'm here today with Monk Hooper to discuss the 2002 Spielberg film Minority Report.
1: The future can be seen. All we have to run on are the images that they produce. We see what they see. There hasn't been a murder in six years. There's nothing wrong with the system. It is perfect. I agree. Murder can be stopped. Tell me exactly what it is. You're looking for flaws. You ever get any false positives? We are arresting individuals who have broken the law. But they will. Thank hey, you for having me. How are you?
0: I'm fabulous. Um, this movie is 20 years old this year. Wow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well,
1: Tom Cruise is back. I don't know if you've seen <laughs> Top Gun.
0: <laughs> Everybody apparently thinks that the new Top Gun movie is amazing. Have you seen the new Top Gun? I've
1: seen it. I saw it. The day it came out, which I didn't plan on, but it's maybe the best action-adventure movie I've ever seen. What the hell? Good morning, aviators. This is your captain speaking. It felt like such a glorious return to the movie theaters. I've seen a few since the pandemic, but this blew me away. It's awesome.
0: I'm so, so mad. I'm so mad about that. Like
1: what? That it's good.
0: That it's so good. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Why? Because the first is uh, no. Because I'm tired of WD. remakes. That's really the oh, thing. It's like okay. this, is,
0: this is the first one where I've, it's universally supremely loved. He, he, you know, Tom Cruise is a really interesting guy. He's so good at what he does, and he he's cares. so crazy, and he he really channels everything. And so I I know you you kind of have a like uh, I, I don't know, obsession with him? Would you say you have like a Tom Cruise it's, fixation?
1: Uh, fixation, obsession. Uh, I'm also fascinated by him as a character. Uh, he's really good at making movies. He's a star, uh, yeah. but he's also so out there as a person that, if anything, your your uh, podcast radio show title applies to this man Tom Cruise <laughs> he came from outer space I don't know
0: well his soul is from the thetans I don't know if you know much about you know his religion but
1: I've his... watched uh, as many Scientology documentaries as I can find yeah, so he really that's, is that's from my outer source space,
0: you know he, so. he is uh,
1: yeah, yeah that that's how he identifies which um, all the power to him it, it's working
0: how old is he now I have to look that up 59. Such goals. Well, we're going to really dive into Tom Cruise. But first, for those who don't know Monk Cooper, <laughs> he's a uh, art department, a filmmaker, a director, a comedian, and an actor. Uh, he's written and produced multiple comedic shorts, including Philosopher's and The Pitch and dozens more on his uh, social media. He graduated from University of Pennsylvania with a degree in international relations and Chinese in 2013. Yes, he speaks fluent Mandarin. And after his first year of law school in Columbia he realized the, the law was not for him. So I started working at CBS this morning in 60 Minutes and then got into art department and scenic work. He's worked for amazing shows like Gilded Age, Jessica Jones, and recently Changeling for Apple TV, which is where we met. So why did you choose Minority Report?
1: Well, uh, it, maybe it's because I've been seeing the Uh, advertisements for Top Gun so Tom Cruise has been on the mind and when you said science fiction it was the first movie that popped into my head and I just went with it I didn't analyze I could have said Blade Runner I'm sure you've talked about that so many times I love that movie also you go into um, a lot of deep cuts of uh, movies I've noticed on your on your show And this is the opposite of a deep cut. And I'm all about it. It's like super mainstream, but also such good storytelling. And I love the portrayal of the future from the past, Uh, what they got right, what they didn't, what's off, what's on, how it maybe influenced what we see today. And, uh, it's um, it really is one of my favorite movies. Under license registration. We'll see if I can capture You're that. Running out, t- running out of time. Running out of time. I was thinking I maybe i play Stay home today. Right. Right. meeting. Working too much. much. Can you grab that? I'm here for it.
0: I'm just so glad that you brought it back though, because I think it gets forgotten. I mean, it's a Spielberg movie, so there's no way you can say it's underrated because it's a Spielberg movie it, with a hundred million dollar budget. But
1: yeah, it's not. I didn't know that until i rewatched it that it's a spielberg movie and it it really is at like the highest level uh the other like current maybe influence that i see have you seen the new stranger things at all Mm -mm, no well uh have you watched the show yeah i watched the the first season
0: like Yeah, like everybody did. I love the first season;
1: it's great. The costume design of uh, Eleven in this new season—she's in like the test center. Uh, She looks like one of the triplets from Minority Report. It's such a clear parallel. So, um, it it seems to still influence present-day filmmakers, TV creators, and um, it's uh, it's. It's an iconic movie. It really is. It, Pre-crime. How can you go wrong with it's that concept? Like,
0: yeah, you don't realize how much of an influence this movie has on simply design until yes. you watch it now, because that's something I'm obsessed with is sci-fi movies predict the future visually, so we work mm-hmm. towards it subconsciously, and this movie predicted so much. I have a running list of like things I'm really upset that we're, we're like working towards, things I'm happy we have. Most of the things that this movie predicts were like, either almost there, or we're like on the path, right? Yeah. It's like flying cops. No. No. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah. So like when you, when like, tell me about when you watched the first time, what was your, do you remember what that experience was like?
1: Well, the first time, uh, the most memorable part of it is when Tom Cruise gets into his pre-crime station. And he starts doing those moves with the screen where he's, like, going through the memories created by the triplets. Original running bond brick pattern. streamlined early Georgian details. Brick has been repointed. I love his swipe to the side. Mm -hmm. Like, that, that action with the clear screen... And then the camera is positioned behind the clear screen as well. So you you see the, uh, I guess, like the reverse um, of the images and it it conjures something up. It's just perfectly futuristic. And it's still how I imagine the future, even though it's been 20 years. So which is um, amazing. (laughs) I, I don't know how they pull that off, but. Uh, there's this secret ingredient to it and it's just so, it's so specific. Maybe that's what it is. It's just well, the specificity. It's sexy. He's it's wearing sexy these too, gloves yeah.
0: that are reminiscent of Archer's gloves, right? He's got these two finger, it's the mm. thumb and the first two fingers on and and you intuit without being told that those are for the gesturing screen, right? And the, and screen- the motion
1: of the, like, each motion with his hands has a very specific effect on the screen. Um, so it's not arbitrary. It's like mm-hmm. they talked about okay if you turn your hand like a knob that will do this to the screen if you swipe it to the side like it'll have this effect so it it, there's there's no disconnect between the uh, uh, motions and the visual accompaniment for those motions so it uh it yeah it, it it gels so well
0: and he also has first of all it's it's Tom Cruise. He's wearing his tight black outfit, right? So like yeah. you're you're like, oh, that's me. Like when you watch yeah. this movie, like <laughs> that's who I am. And he has this like kind of chest puff out moment, and then they play classical music. So he's the conductor, right? He's conducting everything ah, and yes. all of these things. But that opening scene really struck me too, especially for the art direction and the production design. Um, you know Alex McDowell by any chance. He's
1: he's he's the production designer.
0: Yeah, he worked with venture gilliam and alex proyas and he worked a lot with spielberg but like I, I i think he's to thank for a lot of the early 2000s look i started really gelling on this of like okay so spielberg did were of the worlds in 2005 and ai in 2001 and then this movie in 2002 so like man he was really defining the look
1: you know yes but uh in a way too it's um it, the the concept of the film is is quite scary. Uh, Because you're dealing with this universal idea of uh, free will. And do we in fact have it or is fate a thing? Are we destined to do certain things even though we believe that we have a choice? Because after our entire lives, right, like all we've had, we've made all the choices. Like so, so... it puts us into this like philosophical mindset of questioning um, really how it all works. And, uh, but it grounds it in the, the world that they create. So there's this, um, that in itself is a, is quite scary. And, and it, it just glues us to the story because it's something that we all deal with. Right. Like, yeah, they explain it from the from the very top, too. I, that's like you know that's something I think about a lot too, just in storytelling is like how to set the stage um, as effectively and as quickly, efficiently as possible. and that that's something that Spielberg is the master of. So
0: I was really um, noticing that. I was taking notes on exposition the whole time.
1: No wasted time, and it's just boom, 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 boom. You're in it. You're on board and uh, then it's off to the races yeah
0: and you don't realize how steam how good he is because you don't feel it happening right Exposition no. in a sci-fi film is so hard because you have to catch us up on so much but he does yeah he, he uses all the different kinds so um, Alfred Hitchcock said that exposition is a pill that needs to be swallowed so we have to sh- you have to sugarcoat it So like the way that he sugarcoats it in the beginning is that the images are so beautiful and stunning. Like the first of all the office where he works, the red ball going down the gold tube, and then the shot of the precogs overhead. You're you're just like so shocked by the imagery that you don't realize that that's it's all yeah
1: yes it's it's all
0: exposition. (laughs) So the production design to me is the first exposition, and then there's dialogue, and then there's the video like explainer like advertisement. And he plays his own memories. Like every level of exposition is used in a creative way to not make it feel like it's clunky. Like in 19, in 2044 Creek Cogs. like there was none of that. Right. It was just very smooth. And yeah, that was really shocking to me is like noticing this, thinking about talking to you, how much work the scene and the scenic department, the art department does to set this, the tone for you that you don't even notice. So like, talk about that in your work. Like, how do you do that?
1: Uh, Well, it, it, it's really about conversations with the production designer and a good production designer um, knows the history through research for the specific project, or they've reached a a point in their career. They've gathered so much information that like uh, on this uh, changeling um, show, for example, there is this uh, period shot on um, in Harlem. They turn the block into a 1960s block. And uh, one of the small details that we addressed was um, the existing graffiti on the walls. And some graffiti would have existed back then, but a lot of it would not have. And then Lester, the production designer, went into... This like mini lesson on how he went to this graffiti museum in Mexico that told the history of graffiti and how this started here and would it would not have existed there and um, and then he's like all right let's get back to work but um, you could see that he genuinely cared about those details and you know if you take any one isolated um, example like that, they probably go unnoticed, but all together, uh, you know, the culmination of all those details, um, I believe at least, you know, create the, the setting and, and, um, the world, uh, and, and matter. And that's, uh, that's a cool thing to work with people who are so knowledgeable about that sort of stuff and, uh, and care. And, um, that was, uh, that was my experience on this show. It seemed like um, as hectic as it was, uh, because I think we shot on 67 locations over the course of six weeks. Um, the people involved were true masters of their craft. And, um, and I think some like really beautiful shots came out of it. So I'm excited to see I'm it I'm really excited comes to see out. it
0: too, because being on set to see the way that that block was transformed, I had like a tingling sensation all over my body. Like, was amazing how that kind of thing can completely change your perception. And I wonder, like, so if we had, if you had left one piece of modern graffiti, you know, would my brain have sent up a little flag, right? As the camera is, uh, you know, panning over. I well, fall, right?
1: you never are. Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. But you know, I don't believe this show was, uh, had storyboards at all. They were figuring out the shots as, um, as they showed up to sh- uh you know, to set. And the crane shot um, just so happened to start in the exact area where that graffiti was covered. So, you know, with another director, um, the crane shot might have started on the other side of the street. But this one just so happened to like, look at a newspaper, and then like pan up, and then go all the way up, and like, down the street. So, you never know what the camera will focus in on, and it's uh, our job to make the entire set as much as possible in that space, in that time period, uh, so that when the camera shows up and the director decides what to hone in on, it's um, it's at that hero in mean, quote it, hero level. Um, it always helps if we know what the hero shot is, but you know, sometimes you just don't know. So you got to make it all the hero. Uh, So it it worked out in that case. And I thought it was a beautiful shot. Truly.
0: I wonder, like, I I wonder if there's equal challenges trying to make something look historically accurate versus accurate to a future that we don't know yet.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I think, like, in one case, um, you're creating uh, something new based on you know, how maybe it's based on a lot of uh, research as to, you know, what a futuristic car might look like from Ford or a a company that is doing these trials on new cars and, you know, taking that existing design and then making their own version of it. Uh, Like in Top Gun, they use a plane that is an actual test plane from um one of like you know the, the aircraft companies um and there's like only one of them and uh that it's it but it's a real plane it's just like there's only one pilot that can fly it and uh it's like cutting edge technology so it seems like it's stop you know, selling when
0: top looking, gun I know, <laughs> no, it's
1: so good it's so this is now a podcast about top gun <laughs> this is a
0: tom cruise America is back. <laughs> Can you? What does he say? He's like, "Whoa, yeah!" Like, what he like? Does some like some? Whoa! Does did he, did he do any of that?
1: Fabric. Oh yeah. Having any fun yet? It's it's just the the volleyball. <laughs> it, yeah. It, the
0: volleyball is back, America.
1: Yeah. Summer. <laughs>
0: I need to ask a question for our audience. What? Yes. I think people tend to use production and design and art direction as interchangeably. What's the difference?
1: Well, the difference, um, as far as like the, the production designer versus the art director, the production mm-hmm. designer, um, is the one that actually comes up with all of the designs for the set. Mm-hmm. The art director coordinates between all of the departments and makes it all happen and mm-hmm. uh is in the execution of that design. So they al- will make choices, uh-huh. uh design choices along the way, but it's really the production designer's vision
0: mm-hmm. and
1: then the art director is there to make it all happen. So um, like
0: Alex McDowell drew the with a team drew out these images of the room with the round glass with the like wherever his office is and then the art director ramsey avery and there's like a whole team they're the ones who are like all right we got to fabricate this round glass what do we make it out of or is that different
1: like yeah that, that i'd say that's a pretty accurate um they work very closely with one another uh i don't this is my comparison this isn't something i've heard from a seasoned professional but i would say that it's like A director and an assistant director. Mm -hmm. So if you walk on a set, you'll see Mm -hmm. the AD calling all the shots and making, you know, stuff happen. And that would typically be the art director's role. Um, And the production designer is making those creative choices about, um, you know, what the look of the show is like because
0: in this case it's just like wow mad props alex mcdowell like he conceptualized this world and there is so much future like the the cars look so different the hover cars the like i mean outfits all the tech all the weird little pieces of tech all the instant like they're just it's so detailed and it's so
1: detailed so specific no detail is left unturned it's um incredible really
0: Let me read you a quick quote from him. Because there wasn't a script at first, we started off by looking at the world as a whole and asking ourselves what would the world look like in Washington, D.C.? Sometime in 2040, the art department came up with things like architecture and the way the environment in the city would develop and the way the cars would look. Never mind, He didn't do the cars. They also started looking into what watches and communication devices would look like. So there was a bunch of research as the script came in. We were able to narrow things down more and more able to get more specific about the day of his life, the day in the life of Anderton. And my approach is not to separate the production design and the visual effects, at least in the beginning, so I can conceptualize the film as a whole.
1: Wow. Yeah. It's a lot and, of pre-work, uh, it sounds like. Oh, yeah. Pre-work for the pre-crime.
0: It's... <laughs> pre-viz the pre-viz for, for the, the pre-cogs. Precog. Yeah. Yeah. The red balls, though. Okay, so I want to ask you is, <laughs> you know, you watched this movie again recently. What else stood out to you besides his, like, opening montage, like, from the art and production design side?
1: Well, you mentioned the red ball, and um, I, at least right now, thinking back to the film, it's very gray and blue. And, um the choice to make that very important uh, element of the ball red uh, adds, adds just through the color and the contrast with the look of the film um, adds a lot. Yeah. Adds importance to it uh, visually. So that, that makes sense as a choice. I know that like when we're putting together a set, there's this, uh, I heard this, um, this trick it's like, before the director or the production designer comes in to like approve the set, paint the doorknob red so that they look at the doorknob and be like, why is it red? Fix that doorknob. And then they don't pay attention to anything else.
0: That's a it, really good like... trick. That's actually a trick for all client-facing relations. <laughs> the red
1: doorknob—just like put something in that is very easily uh, fix- fixable,
0: uh-huh. Uh-huh.
1: Um, but is that so? Like that's so distracting, and then that person will just like forget about everything else there is um, to improve on, and only fo- and only focus on what's ma- what matters. Uh-huh. Um, so you know, that's a. Uh, I feel like yeah, that's definitely a trick to maybe apply in various areas of, of one's life
0: well before you forget <laughs> what you're listening to here's a red doorknob you're listening to they came from outer space i'm your host cameron kit i'm here talking to monk cooper about the 2002 film minority report
1: i've never heard of them, but i'm supposed to kill him in less than 36 hours he's coming here together tom cruise i need your help in a steven spielberg film i have to know i have to find out what happened to my life you tell me who was it to set this up? I don't know. How about now.
0: Okay, but we got to talk about Tom Cruise, though.
1: Yeah, let's, let's get back let's, to our boy. Let's dig into. Let's
0: dig to into Tom. this. You are like a. You are like a. <laughs> I, I would look at you almost like a character actor. Like you're really good at creating characters and being in character. Tell me about his performance in this movie and how you would approach doing a Tom Cruise character.
1: Mm. So, yeah, in uh, in Minority Report yeah he's a movie star right mm. like he when you go you go see a tom cruise movie that's that's what you do when you know what you're getting into right <laughs> like it's gonna be tom cruise running he's got his signature run there
0: better be a, a motorcycle there's
1: ethan hunt mm-hmm. there better be a motorcycle you know he's do he's he's doing the stunts i do actually. as well I which do which adds an element Mm -hmm. of just like Mm -hmm. what we're seeing is happening. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even if there are cables, like he's up there on that building. He's uh, in on that motorcycle. He's in that plane. Mm -hmm. And um, I just have a tremendous amount of respect for that because it's so, it's so awesome. It's, it's, I it's movie making. It's like you know, like there are your films, and I love film, but then there are just these like epic movies, and I think he's one of the greatest just movie film or movie stars of uh, at least you know my life. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, we'll see what happens in you know the future, but uh, the difference between like a Marvel movie and a Tom Cruise movie is that one is primarily shot in a green space with incredible visual effects and then the other is shot on the side of a building and they figure out a way to put that camera outside the building, get him on wires so he's just like scaling a skyscraper
0: do you remember the mission no other way do you remember the mission impossible yeah i love the summary here is tom cruise equals movie like tom cruise is movie like he is a he's a living film like he himself is an action film incarnate there's a there's a stunt that i always think of from one of the most i think it's mission possible two or three where he's hanging onto the side of the airplane as it takes off he did that like he's really on there like he's on that plane And it makes such a difference. And he's loving it. it. He's living for it, too. You know he loves
1: it. But that being said, and I I don't think this is the case in every single movie, film that he's made, but he's had some really impressive uh, performances along the way as a true actor as well. Like uh, his performance in Magnolia, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson as this motivational speaker the scene with his father is so there in every way and then his earlier work as well um before he turned into this blockbuster action superstar uh that's that's part of the appeal is that there's a really talented actor underneath all of those impressive stunts um so uh, that trajectory of his career um uh, i'm he's being i don't think it's it's unnoticed but uh, i'm here to praise it even more
0: (laughs) and like why do i love movies i love to feel things why do i love sci-fi i love the sense of awe and i love Thinking uh, the way that Philip K. Dick thought, right? I love, mm. I love imagining what would be, what could be, what would happen if.
1: Time horizon: twelve minutes. All right, what he's doing now, we call it scrubbing the image, looking for clues as to where the murder is going to happen. It's like two. Isn't it almost three hours? It's two hours, twenty-five. Hours. Yeah, it's definitely it's a little a long. long. It's a
0: little long, and he gets everything <laughs> in there. Um interestingly though i'm it's like i think it fits the length of the novella pretty well like he they they kept a lot of stuff in you can feel but um let's just brainstorm here a little bit like if you were going to do a tom cruise character skit like where you're tom cruise like would you be doing something related to stunts is there would you do something related to top gun is there like a a specific era of tom cruise that you gravitate towards most
1: well i like i'm fascinated by the darker side of Tom Cruise which we rarely get a glimpse into (laughs)
0: we get a glimpse of it all the time what are you talking about yeah it's
1: true but like in terms of like the characters that he portrays Mm. uh, he as an actor rarely taps into something Mm -hmm. more sinister Mm. and Mm. um, I think he would be incredibly effective in that role and that's why i brought up magnolia Mm -hmm. uh, because there is something so sinister about that character which we find out is rooted in this uh, relationship with or lack of relationship with his father Mm -hmm. Um, and that is the cause for this career as like like ultra male uh sex therapist motivational speaker that um he plays in that movie and uh i i i'd love to see a character like that from him or maybe do some sort of like uh you know version of it i know your question is like how would i approach he uh, doesn't
0: really play the villain very much
1: right no but i i i would be such a good villain but i i don't know if we'll ever see that because it seems so at odds with uh the um, image that he's built for himself but you know when even um, like Lev Grossman in um, Tropic Thunder yeah Lev Grossman like that that to me is a comedic version of him yeah uh, like being a bad guy
0: yeah and I and, and <laughs> and guess what it's super fun it. to watch yeah it's like whenever he whenever he has a like a chaotic breakdown in a film I'm like wow he was so good and my sister's like yeah because it's easiest to act when you're drawing from real place (laughs) like it's easy to act when you're drawing from something real that reminds me I'm so glad that we brought that up because I know I didn't do the intro we are going to spoil this film so if you haven't seen it yet there are studies that show a little light spoilage can actually increase your enjoyment Released in 2002, Minority Report is a thrilling sci-fi noir adapted from the novella by Philip K. Dick that was written in 1956. It was adapted for DreamWorks and 20th Century Fox. It follows future detective John Anderton, played by our boy, Tom Cruise, who uses and commands the power of three psychic precogs to predict and intercept murders in the year 2054. But when a precog vision shows him committing a murder... John must go on the run and unravel the mystery behind this seemingly perfect crime prevention system only to find it's not what it seems.
1: Minority report. <laughs> Yeah, you've had 20 years to see it. So, you've had 20 years to see it. (laughs) And you've had
0: 20 years to see it in our design. We're like working towards it. For me, the cars were the most memorable part, having seen it 20 years ago or when I saw it in theaters when it came out. So, it has been 20 years since I saw this film. And the cars was the thing I remembered. And there's so much other sci fi tech that I really want to talk to you about. But kind of
1: like a Tesla in a way. They are very Tesla like super glass. uh, They're sliding down the
0: sides of this building that. Last for so mm-hmm. long that the building has to be 500 or 600 story like there's so much like intuitive sci-fi that just really lights up my little brain but the reason yeah. I, I wanted to read that and remind you that there's are spoilers is tom cruise will absolutely play so many villains because who plays villains old men right mm. it's always the yes. old guy am i right like the hunger games it's just always the same right so in this in this of course no uh spoiler alert guys but it's the old guy <laughs> just so. <laughs> so tom cruise could play that guy you know i'm sure he will i'm sure we'll get that he
1: could, he could. yeah we'll see yeah it'll be interesting to see there's a two-part mission impossible trailer uh, that'll be coming out starting next uh, summer that's what i've heard so we've still got quite a few remakes um
0: so he, he's 59 I'm a lot of our right. great action stars are aging you know and we seem to just keep making them be action stars over and over what's the know.
1: next generation of action stars i, Have I they really want to see them decided right? on yeah i don't i can't think of any off uh off hand
0: mm, yeah that's kind of bad isn't it i just think of jason yeah. statham but he's not really young anymore
1: yeah i mean they they're uh they're of another generation you know what are the like 25 the 20 to 30 range um new action stars uh i i I know that there are some new movie stars on the block, but as far as like big, big movies, big action movies, sci-fi or other genre, I'm not sure if it's it's been decided yet.
0: Yeah. And I mean, in terms of the action stars who actually do the work, right, because CG can get as good as we want, but the body still doesn't look like a body when it takes a hit if it's a CG body, right? Um, so totally. we'll see we'll see you know if you have if you think you have answers to that find me on social media they came from outer space underscore on instagram and you know message me who who's the current new class right who's getting inducted yeah want to know. who's coming who's coming <laughs> up like like reach out let me know so yeah monk this movie is is like a sci-fi feast for me um hmm. like what was your favorite futuristic element was it the glass? It sounds like it was. That, you want one of those in your room? Or is there, is there anything else about this, the futurism? <sighs> I love is?
1: the design my house with just a glass, like uh, almost like a fishbowl glass at the center of it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I also, the, um, the choice to put the precogs in water, uh-huh. almost like they're still in this. Um, uh,
0: they're like embryos
1: embryo yeah embryonic state and uh-huh. that to me was a very creepy but also effective choice um to keep them in water and then also that guy <laughs> that character who like tends to the pre-cobs and he's Love like him. <laughs>
0: what- <laughs> i love him yeah he's there like, yeah he, he shaves them like... and feeds them i think i don't know what he does yeah
1: it's he, he, he murmurs to them it's, it's so out there and that's his life is just tending to these precogs in the water and he'll get in the water too and casting like,
0: every side character we had two side characters that were from um a lot of the coen brothers films uh, i don't know if you noticed that it's just like it's, it's easy to sit here and be like, well, this movie's amazing. But it's like, you can get whatever you want when you're Steven Spielberg. Like, he literally got everything he wanted from this movie. It was a $100 million yeah. budget.
1: Wow. And it looks
0: like it. And that was
1: it? probably like 200 or more in today's dollars.
0: Like, that's, yeah. that's a huge. I mean, and it looks like it. Let's be real. It really, like, every dollar is eaten up in the beauty of the futurism of this film. Absolutely. However, it was a flop it was a flop i mean really uh, u.s gross at the end did it was lose only... money i mean in my understanding let me look this up let me pull this up my understanding is that like if you don't 10x it's a flop right um, oh my God. Maybe, okay. could be wrong. maybe i could be wrong like the approach here is like worldwide gross at the end of the day was almost just 350 million the budget was 100 million and like opening weekend wow. so it did make flop. its money back but i consider <laughs> it a flop for a spielberg film for Spielberg, tripled like, its
1: money. It's a flop. I no, know,
0: I know, I know. Okay, all right, all right, all right, all right.
1: I no, I mean it, that's it. Fair did just for, okay. Like all things considered, they probably wanted it to be like a billion dollars. Exactly,
0: budget. what they expect is what I am saying. Say, so, like when you make when you are in the business side and you are looking at your margins and you you pay, they're like, okay, we have we're putting hundred million in. They're expecting a certain return that they're depending on. Yep. So of course it did get. Yep. I mean, I I saw it in theater, so it wasn't like it was. It, it didn't, you know, it tripled its money, but. And so it didn't completely lose money, but I don't think it had the success that was expected. And I wonder why that is because it's so good, right? Was it too brainy for
1: people? Maybe too brainy, maybe too long, maybe mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, also just, well, I don't know about this, what I'm about to say, but when you take uh, an original concept, um, it's always uh, more of a bet because no one's familiar. Yeah. I love new movies. Like new I, it's movies. what you said I, about remakes. Like another remake, really, and the vast majority of them don't pay homage uh, to the degree that we want them to. They don't live up to the original because it can't be the original. But people will go see it because they love the original, and it, and that's enough of an attention draw. So it's a safer bet. Um, but I mean, we're also talking about 20 years ago, where that's how people would make or see movies, they would go to the theater to see a movie. And if you didn't catch it in the movie theaters, you'd have to wait like months to see it on DVD, right? Like, I remember that. And um, just the the life cycle of movies is stretched out uh, way longer than it is today. It's like, you know, the day after it's in theaters, or even while it's still in theaters, a movie will be available to stream. So <clears throat> the whole economics of how films make money nowadays, I don't understand. I'm convinced it's all a money, money laundering scheme. Um, <laughs> I've yet to hear a legitimate breakdown of how any movie actually makes money. And it is the perfect way to spend way more than one should actually on something so and just true. take take the cartel cash,
0: yeah. funnel it
1: through a production, which spends way too much money. Then it's all legit. Doesn't matter if it loses or it wins. Now that money is clean. I look, I mean, maybe I'm about to I'm get a, all the points, a text though. from the cartel <laughs> about like, we hear you're live on
0: (laughs) My only my only problem is like
1: from outer space, I I
0: hope the cartel just like focuses on more new content. That's all I'm asking for. I don't want. like we live in this era. You're so right, though, because the marketing is just as much as the production budget, right? So like, you're always going to spend a tremendous amount of money on a large film like this, like a booked film with Tom Cruise. But we live in this era of like, films that are good enough, what was it? Mm. It was like films that like we, they're, they're just good enough to get you in the theater. And it feels like that's why there's such, why that's why people are looking for different arenas. That's why TV is taking off. There's like, people are looking for different areas of entertainment and the movie industry is having to completely reinvent itself because it's not the way that it was 20 years ago. It's exactly like you said, 20 years ago we went to the theater. I mean, my family and I went to the theater one or two times a week, you know, it was like wow. an activity, right? We would do it all the time. I worked at a movie theater. It was like my life. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's like, this does this count as a new movie? Like it was still based on a book, you know. It was still based on Philip K. Dick, and so in a way, it's like because you're able to say, "Hey, it's Philip K. Dick," we know it's going to be good, right? How many movies of his have been adapted? It's like eight or nine from his. It's favorite. uh,
1: it helps. It it definitely helps as so a much. like a, a proven concept, right? Yeah. Um I think uh, sourcing from short stories is so good for. Mm-hmm. Filmmaking. Arrival was my um, short story. Your what?
0: Arrival. It's, my, it's like my favorite sci-fi film in the last ten years. Oh, you know, I don't, what's it a,
1: called? rival Oh, Arrival. Rival.
0: The one with Amy. Oh, Arrival.
1: Adams. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, short yeah. Story. yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, because usually it's the perfect length for a two-hour feature. It's like the perfect length of a story to to tell in that amount of time. If you try to tackle a novel. Uh, it's just, that's why it's never as good as the book because there's no time to include those elements and that character development um, in the film. But a short story usually can can do the trick if uh, if it's the right fit. Yeah, sure. um, so.
0: I respect short story authors. I actually think this is a very unpopular opinion. I actually think it's harder to write a short story than a novel for the same reason that it's mm. harder. You know, like the Tom. Uh, like the, there, there's that quote. I didn't have. I would have written a shorter letter but I didn't have time right like the ability to craft something that's really tight so I've read five Philip K Dick novels and I'll be honest none of them are very good they're so clunky but Mm. his short stories he is a samurai like his short stories it's just incredible but when you give him the space to have to do character development and like plot movement it just is really no offense I mean I love you man PKD but like (laughs) so this novella is like it's really strong right like only the good stuff is in there and the movie is the same way it's like only the good stuff is in there we start boom like first thing that happens is we got to go find this guy and stop him before he commits a murder second thing that happens is I'm being accused of murder like it's boom 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 it's like you're right like when you're talking about how this is a Spielberg masterclass, you are being in held in the hands of a master but yeah like I would love for more original stuff to get made the only place that's happening is in the indie world
1: right? And yeah, and um, that's such a difficult landscape to navigate as a filmmaker, because um, it, it probably will lose money. So you're dealing with a passion project to a large extent, even if you find your fan base, you know, is your fan base enough to make it a viable, um, like business operation. So it probably like no, is is usually the answer um, and I just I worry about attention spans I worry about my own attention span when I'm consuming a film on yeah. uh, like a small screen yeah. I just check other screens I check my phone I check the this and it's yeah. it's not something I want to be doing but yeah. I do it the phone lights up and I check the message and I'm and I'm taken out of the world immediately um, immediately so I I don't know what the future is for feature films especially like independent ones that don't have the the reach or the power to be seen in a theater where it's meant to be consumed. Mm-hmm. Um it's a it's a very tricky area that we're in and I think that's why uh there's such an emphasis on uh, mini series and Uh, episodic um, storytelling right now is because it's easier to tune in and tone out. You know, it's like something big happens in the beginning, then there's character development and then something big happens at the end and you can kind of like drift in and drift out, but still be very invested um, at the same time. And, um, And it's the tearing about the character's might happen in the fourth episode and then we're on board but you know to get someone to care in the first 15 minutes of your film and then keep that up for two hours um is i think more difficult now than ever
0: absolutely Um, it's interesting that you bring first of all thank you for being so brave to admit that watching movies is hard now right like it's it's a skill you have to build and tv and episodic we've all seen this meme do I have time to watch a hundred minute movie? No. Do I have time to watch six one hour episodes of a show? Absolutely. Like why is that so yes. true? For and, the, and it will change again. This is why I love sci-fi. I, my theory, my personal theory is it will be interactive. I think media is going to be more immersive and interactive because mm. I don't need to check my phone if I'm in the room with Tom.
1: Have you ever been to a 4DX uh, movie theater? No, but or are really- they like,
0: I heard about it over on like spray and I was water like this is you? what I need like I need to be in a moving seat I need to I need to have like a spray of air like I love that yeah. stuff. I really do like- I
1: I'll, I I hated it I was so I saw the new Blade Runner and I was like this is wrong why am I being sprayed by water
0: Listen, I want spectacle. I like to turn my brain off. I like to go to the roller I'm like for instance for my birthday like, I'm going I was to a roller coaster.
1: I couldn't <laughs> Oh, yeah. It's like isolated. I love this stuff. Like water slide? Yes. Roller coaster? Yes. Movie? Yes, but you combine Isn't all it? three? No. And I I just I could not. I yeah, it really didn't sit well with me. Were you the um, only
0: one in the theater who didn't have a good experience or
1: you know, I'm not sure. I I've yet to meet someone who's like super into 4DX. Uh, someone who worked on
0: our set is.
1: Oh, really? I got
0: pitched. I got pitched by a, a believer. So Okay. They're out there. Well, they're out there. They're out yeah, there.
1: but it, it I think like IMAX is probably the closest thing to full full immersion that or, I would be or an Oculus. up for, or or yeah, Oculus makes again. It makes me uh,
0: oh, dizzy. It, yeah, it makes me everybody. feel
1: disoriented.
0: Okay, in the future, um, the brain your, yeah. your film will be inserted into your brain with like a needle. It's just gonna go straight <laughs> yeah. in, and you're gonna be in the movie. You're just gonna have like a. You're just gonna become comatose and like experience yeah. the
1: film. Like, experience it for approximately yeah. 85 years from birth till death and uh the most immersive thing is still life <laughs> it's still
0: reading i'll be honest like books are still more immersive but i i have a, i have a hope like obviously media has to adapt
1: they're still figuring it out the they're heck still heck figuring it? it out
0: government of Foxhall four four two one games bro
1: it's in a dcpd blue
0: and white you're listening to They Came From Outer Space here on WRAR. My name is Cameron Kitt. I'm here with Monk Cooper talking about Minority Report from 2002. This film is 20 years old as of this recording. And it leads me, since we've been talking about the indie world, you know, this is one of the biggest budget films we've had on the show. What can we learn from Spielberg and what can we learn from this movie um, as low budget sci-fi filmmakers? Like what, what, what can we take away?
1: Well, I've always, this is something that I've learned um, with my own work is just for the look of the film and the production value of the film to match the story that you're telling or the project that you're telling. So as a young filmmaker, uh, like first stuff that I ever made, I was reaching for production value that was way beyond what my project was worth. And I think the more you're able to uh, fit your project's worth with the production value, um, the more you're able to improve both storytelling and what you're able to achieve with that production value, with that budget that might come later. Um, So with this, you have your $100 million budget, but you also have um a, a valuable piece of intellectual property you've got your movie star you've got a seasoned filmmaker at the very at the highest level so it's like it's the right project to put a hundred million dollars into and i think like aspiring filmmakers will want their indie project to look like that because that's what they're aspiring to um, but maybe don't realize that, you know, that is a hundred steps away and the only way to get there is to shoot it with an iPhone and shoot it with a better camera and get a little better sound and maybe involve more actors and maybe get some, a better actor and then maybe add a production designer. And it is this incremental process of like, of learning all of like what all of those tools do to graduate to something, you know, even just with a, a million dollar budget, you know, a hundred million dollars. Yeah, a million is with, not like,
0: ultra low, right? Ultra you know, low. Yeah,
1: but like, I mean, I think like the someone who uh, came up in the indie world and like has worn all of those hats themselves, you know, they can make something really great with a million dollars and stretch each, you know, each one of those dollars very far. And that's why we see indie filmmakers being hired for these big Marvel projects too. Uh-huh. Like it's no surprise to me they can stretch that a dollar. Uh-huh. They know what to to make, and they've relied on storytelling for their you know the first phase of their career, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. just like made it happen with that. And it's like, all right, now let's see what they can do when um you know like anything anything is possible. Uh, but it's just it's in the fabric of their work that they want to make the most of what they have so um i believe that's uh played a part in why we see this like hiring trend of indie filmmakers into these like very big budget uh especially marvel um, projects
0: i just want to so. go a little deeper on what you're saying though if you said you want to match the production to the budget or to the story you're telling so match the production yeah. level to the story so let's say you're at the entry level right you're about to make yeah. your first short It's you have you're gonna probably spend twenty thousand dollars all told even though you're aiming to spend five or six right um and or maybe you're only gonna spend five thousand right i
1: hope at that point like one has already made like 20 shorts. student films right? right yeah with your friends like you're about to make least, your
0: short short yeah. your big thing your thing okay. that you're gonna put to festivals right so this is like you're either in school you're out of school whatever yeah you have this script it's maybe 13 pages it's probably pretty sci-fi and you're looking at this film like what advice would you give would you say don't do a sci-fi or would you say like be very sp- specific about how you use that money and only buy like one really good thing or like yeah give me some tips from the
1: well the um I haven't met a I haven't made a twenty thousand dollars short film, so I'm not speaking from experience here. But uh, I believe that um, story is everything, and Snaps. you can have you can Snaps. have a you know I'm not the first person to say that. Oh like, God, you're
0: you're <laughs> I, a genius. I'm
1: just, I'm just an echo, <laughs> but it, but it's really true, like we see the most captivating medium right now at least our as far as like our collective attention span is concerned is our phone and higher budget stuff on our phone gets less views than stuff that that feels like it's shot with our phone and you can tell a story with your phone i mean that is not the the kind of story, visual storytelling that I'm interested in making. But I think there's something to be said about that fact. So to me, like putting $20,000 into uh, a vision of, um, of like a really cool set or something like that, or just re that, that to me would be reaching beyond what the project is worth because this is a short film. That is really for personal growth. It's not going there's gonna be no return in return on investment. It might show proof of concept, but to me, a drawing is a proof of concept. A storyboard is a proof of concept. Like the story itself is a proof of concept. Ooh, so, um, so save your I money think and like, do
0: more writing and research.
1: Save your money or spend your money on um additional shooting shoot days so you yeah. can experiment with the scenes. And have time for rehearsals, and really like pinpoint what you want, and not be in this constant state of reaching beyond what's possible. And that's just uh, that's an incredibly frustrating place to be. So you know, when you give yourself more time, hire the actors for two weeks instead of one week, or whatever it is, you know, four days instead of two days, um, and really like get into the rehearsal process and and talking with the individual actors and then you can experiment with the unexpected on yeah, set this is great and uh, maybe like something magical might happen because you've set yourself yeah. up to allow for that instead of just like getting the bare minimum.
0: Mm-hmm. What I'm hearing from you is don't try to make something that looks like this movie. That's never gonna happen, right? Like, don't. It's don't, not
1: gonna look like it. It's not,
0: and it's it's and because what you yeah. don't realize is like the hundred million dollar budget goes does not get. I mean, might maybe a good deal of it's like laundered. I don't know. Like, right? Like, hundred million dollar budget goes to paying everybody for all their work. It's so much work. Like, it's so many people worked for so many hours, like, just to get to the part where they were ready to start fabricating the sets, right? Like, there's there's so much. So don't try to maybe go to like a film festival and watch other short films. Is, would I think nice. also
1: like, you know, as far as production value is concerned, the one thing that audiences um, are not forgiving with, and I, I understand why is sound. So hire mm-hmm. a good um, sound person or team to make sure that like every word is uh, can be heard very mm-hmm. clearly. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> and then people can listen to whatever it is you want to say yeah um so with everything else i think like audiences will make connections and you know if the color isn't quite right this or that it might have a like an amateur look but you know if it's a captivating story they they'll be on board so um that's my approach
0: definitely watch this film again um and monk thank you so much for coming on we've been talking about minority report my last question for you is what are you working on where can we find your work find you uh
1: yeah so you can follow me on instagram at hoopsie doopsie that's h-o-o-p-s-e-a-d-o-o-p-s-y and uh you're also welcome to reach out about anything for anyone out there who's looking to connect uh right now i'm working on a music video which i'm considering turning into uh, like a music video short film, more of a narrative approach to music oh, A little video. bit of a
0: lemonade situation? okay? Maybe a
1: little bit of a lemonade situation. It's a comedy techno song called Ooh. Stranded in Tulum based okay. on the news headline five or six months ago about a group of influencers that partied a little too hard mm-hmm. on a plane to Mexico and then no airlines would take them back and they were stranded in Mexico. So so I've written uh, with my friend Louie a, a, an original uh, comedy techno song called uh, Stranded in Tulum. Oh my We've shot the music video. I've edited the rough cut. Wow. I hope to have it out soon. And I hope it's funny. I hope people listen to it and enjoy it. So,
0: And it might be uh, relevant to some people listening to this. Well, <laughs> Instagram, Hoopsie Doopsie, Monk Cooper. You are you're great. Thanks for coming on and talking about Tom Cruise.
1: Thank you for having me. It's been a real pleasure.
0: And I was thinking maybe I'd play hockey stay home today. Right Working too much. Can you grab that? It's unclear.
1: So yeah. yeah.